Let's change the way we do the world. Let's nurture habits that lead to better habitats in a more sustainable future for all. Get started at audubonnatureinstitute.org slash action. Bring your family to meet ours at Audubon Zoo and Audubon Aquarium, where you can rule the day with Arnold, flip out with Midas, get chummy with Ace, and of course, hang out with Rue. Get your tickets today at audubonnatureinstitute.org. At Auctioner Hospital for Children, we understand that accidents and illnesses happen. Our 24-7 pediatric ER has you covered no matter what unexpected moments life throws your way. Visit auctioner.org slash four children to learn more. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Do you know what ultra-premium ice cream is? Well, in order to qualify for an ultra-premium ice cream, you have to have more than 16% milk fat. This is commonly described as a dense, rich, creamy, heavenly, sumptuous, decadent, indulgent ice cream. And our pals, friends, and partners over at New Orleans Ice Cream Company has the most delicious ice cream you could ever imagine. I mean, let's say Bananas Foster, go for it. Chocolate City, go for it. Mardi Gras, King Cake, go for it. They have the Po' Boys, which is like uh, their own rendition of an ice cream sandwich. Okay, it's uh, two different ways. You can get it with the vanilla bean or the Creole cream cheese. And it's this kind of like very soft cookie situation that sandwiches. <sighs> it's called the Po' Boy and you gotta try it out. Y'all, you can find New Orleans Ice Cream Company around the country, but also at our Rouse's, our dear friends, and other grocery stores all around. You try it out. And guess what? When you're not in New Orleans and you're trying some of that Bananas Foster or that King Cake, it'll transport you in some sort of way vicariously. NewOrleansIceCreamCompany.com Nola Papa is proudly sponsored by Rouse's Markets. You'll love us for more than just the low prices. Make shopping easy with pickup and delivery. Everyday low prices, unbeatable quality, family-owned delivery and pickup options. We buy local services, catering, and bakery. And that Gentilly Berry cake in that case is so fine. Oh, y'all, you know the Gentilly Berry cake. Oh, find it at Rouse's Markets. We interrupt this irregular programming to say that over on our website at nolapapa.com, we have the biggest deal we've ever done, and it's half off both our books, The Secret Mermaid Review and The Adventures of Addie Underwater. You can find them all across New Orleans, Target.com, Amazon, but only at nolapapa.com can you get it signed and half off. I don't know how long it's going to be there as to I see fit. Right now, it's good as gold. So a checkout for Addy, put in Addy50. And for the Secret Mermaid Review, put in Secret50 at checkout. And let me know how, when you did, okay? Just tell Nola Papa. Tag it. 
Hey there, Nella Papa fans! This is Nick from Sandpiper Vacations. At Sandpiper Vacations, we specialize in making dreams come true. Who doesn't love a fabulous vacation? Picture yourself in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, or Disney Cruise Line. We are your ticket to the Disney dream. But hold on, it's not just about Mickey and Minnie. We're talking about Universal Studios, Sandals, all-inclusive resorts, and cruise lines like Royal Caribbean and Virgin Voyages. And that's just the beginning. Guess what? Booking your dream vacation doesn't cost you anything extra to use our services. We are here to give you that added value to booking your vacation. Sometimes we can save you some money. We'll save you time. We'll save you the stress and take out that hassle of booking your dream vacation. So head on over to sandpipervacations.com, click on get a quote, and let your adventure begin. Make sure you mention that Nola Papa sent you. This is Adrian Sosby, your freelance content creator and editor of the Nola Papa podcast. From corporate videos to compelling documentaries, podcast production to engaging reels, I bring creative energy to your business. Plus, I specialize in YouTube management, helping you grow your channel and reach new heights. Let's collaborate. Contact me at 404-247-1083 or visit SolidIceMedia.com to see examples of my work. Life is so much more than a blog. It's also unafraid, unique, and unscripted. Anola Papa Podcast. You guys, it's season four and uh, it is so much fun doing this podcast because you know we get to talk to not only you know the leaders of new orleans celebrities in hollywood broadway people in new york but we have i the the country's leading uh physicians and hospital workers uh, at Oshner Children's Hospital. And they have been holding our hand for, uh, this is our th- th- third season going strong. And I don't know if you know, but I know, and I'm going to tell you that February is Heart Health Awareness Month. And with uh, kids, you know, um, I probably would just drink uh, coffee and watch prices right every day uh, and not and not worry too much but when you have kids you have to you have to really think about everything you know and uh, understand it like you can hear it but do you understand it and I, that's that's what I really like about this segment with Oshner because it's a pediatric or uh hospital care worker spotlight and we get to talk about all different sorts of things throughout the year and today we are going to be talking to Dr. David Wyland and he is uh, I think the perfect guest to talk about uh, today uh, with this heart health awareness because um, if you didn't know February is Heart Month, and it's a great time to educate uh, everyone but parents uh, on heart-related conditions 
our kids could face. And uh, David, I'm so glad you're here. Dr. David, y'all, hey. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me today. Uh, it's good for you to be back. Welcome back. Well, it's, 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 it's great. I had a great time last time. Uh, some really good energy. So I'm, I'm happy to happy to be back on the on the on the podcast and happy to talk with you all again. Awesome. You know, I am a worry wart. OK, I uh, especially when it comes to my children, you know, because I'm looking at my pointers and it looks like like and I'm going to be jumping around. It's going to be hard for me to stay in order on this. But um, I was shocked to see that, according to the CDC, about 40,000 babies are born each year with some type of heart defect. And I've already learned something. It's uh, there's two two types. There's congenital, which means you're born with it. And then there is uh, something that happens later. And and what they call that, Doc? Acquired. So yeah, so acquired, acquired. You know, heart disease. Yeah. So exactly. So exactly right. So so congenital. Those are two things that that we in pediatric cardiology and the, the pediatric heart center take care of is the one one group of heart disease called congenital, which just means you're you're born with whatever we're, just, we're talking about congenital heart disease, and that that number is kind of floated around. So yeah, well, you know about forty thousand. Uh, another another way of, of looking at. Um, I believe the number now is about one in 110 babies will have some form of congenital heart disease, meaning they're heart, they were born with a heart defect. Now, those vary wildly in in how serious they can be. Sometimes those are uh, relatively minor issues that may even resolve over time. Sometimes those are life-threatening issues that require uh, workup and intervention within the first few weeks of life. Um, and so it's it's there's a lot of sort of in between there. Um, and we'll, as we kind of go, we'll kind of talk about, you know, the ways we, we look into that and the ways those are, um, you know, those are, are managed are, and are diagnosed, but, but it, it is, it's not nearly as uncommon to have of some form of, of issue, uh, at, at birth and then you may, then you may think. Um, and that's where I'm like flipping in my chair. Um, because I, you know, I, I think of us walking into a grocery store and there's a hundred people in it and you walk in and or a hundred babies or whatever, you know, and yep. that's a lot of babies in a grocery store, but uh, <laughs> one of those babies is going to have a heart defect. And that scares me. I mean, why? I don't think this is in the notes, but why, <laughs> why do you think that in the future of 2024, it there's so many it, or is there not yeah. that, that, there might just be more people in america and 100 is not that that many yeah. I, but i don't know so that yeah and so that i guess that a couple couple things there so you know i think one thing to to then you know emphasize now as we talk you know we want to make sure that everything is, is correctly you know worked up and diagnosed and and that always this involves starting with your, your primary care physician, your, your pediatrician, seeing them going through mo most of these things are going to be things that can be, um, you know, at least, you know, identified in terms of their concern or risk by, you know, by your, your general pediatrician. Uh, 
and during the you know during the checkout process looking at you know the physical exam looking at growth looking at how babies do eating um those, those sort of things but um the, the the severity of those things can can differ a lot um you know the reality is heart is a, a big muscle and and it's you know the, the job of the heart is to push the, the pump of the blood so it pushes the, the blood throughout the, the body pushes it out to the lungs to uh, get oxygen that then comes back to the heart and makes a second loop sends all that blood with the oxygen out to the body but it's a it's a muscle that that forms in a in a pretty complicated process during the during you know the 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 baby's you know development in the womb and there's a lot of places where you know to lack of better better way of putting it, a lot of places where that can, can go awry and sometimes it's this thing just as as simple as a small hole between you know the chambers of the heart the most common thing that that we diagnose in terms of congenital heart disease is something called an atrial septal defect that's a big term it just means a, a hole between the upper chambers of the heart um those are typically you know things that sometimes they need intervention sometimes they need um you know to be corrected but a lot of times those are things that over time will get smaller will close up will don't always cause a big deal um sometimes if they're they're too big for the heart to close up on its own they need to be closed either by catheterization procedure or uh or a surgical procedure um but a lot you know that's one of the more common things that we sort of see and and um you know and, and so those aren't things that are going to be you know they're not going to cause huge problems right up front and and honestly for things like that something uh, one that's small that doesn't cause a lot of problems there are people that kind of walk around with those things and and never you know sort of show signs show symptoms so it gets to another thing we we've got so much better in medicine about early identification of problems and early identification of some of these things and that goes all the way throughout you know everything that a baby you know sort of gets to their life from from fetal ultrasounds you know so the obstetric ultrasounds that that you know moms get you know early on in in um in pregnancy um, a lot of times those are used as a screening, you know, screening metric for, you know, for a number of congenital issues, um, but one of them being any problem that might be developing with the heart. And so if there's anything, the, the obstetricians or the, you know, the, the maternal, the mom's doctors, you know, see is wrong, then they'll refer to some of our specialists that uh, do a full, a more full ultrasound on the, on the, on the baby's heart inside mom looking to see if any of these things are are present there and that's that's something that is you know it's not necessarily new but the ability to do that well has taken off over the last you know 30 30 40 years and our ability to actually you know in a in a really refined way identify what's going on and make a plan you know even before the baby's been, been born Dang. As to so you mean like y'all are able to before the bun is out of the oven go in there and and listen to the baby's heart and like the i guess the the beats and like the irregularities you're able to to point it out before the baby's born so when the baby's born you, like the parents can you know work a plan exactly exactly so we have a, a group of a group of our, of our physicians um the, uh, the fetal cardiology team um, uses a, a you know a, a slightly different version of the ultrasound machine that every every mom goes and gets and and you know 
ones that take pictures of the babies and and you know you get get that you know get all that kind of started but if there's ever concern with those you know those those first pictures they'll then refer to our team that that then takes more take a lot more pictures you know over a longer period of time during that of, of just the baby's heart to figure out at best there there are, it is difficult it's a it's a that's why it takes a bit longer so is um, it like you, you know, watch the yeah. heart move and like that's where the pictures come in that's what it is it's, it's, yep. i thought it would be something you listen to but i guess you do you listen and you watch exactly exactly, wow. exactly right you got it yeah Abaday. yeah this is the future. I guess, yeah. I mean, 40 years, but it's getting better and yeah. better and better. Exactly. Exactly. That's where, and so it moves, you know, the early detection and that kind of gets at, you know, a lot of this, the, the earlier we can kind of know what's going on and, and looking into things, you know, might be able to detect things early to try to something that's going to resolve on its own, something that needs follow-up or something that needs to be, to be dealt with. Um, and, and that, that helps that process having all that information. That's incredible. You guys, we are talking to Dr. David Weiland, uh, pediatric cardiologist over at Oshner Children's Hospital. And I mean, he's blowing my mind because, you know, again, we all know Papa's a fear-based person. Um, but when you have uh, like revolutionary medicine and and uh, a team that can help you through the process that that's that's what's incredible um are there risk factors uh for heart conditions in children like it seems like genetics maybe uh, i would think right. uh, what, what are some yeah right so a lot of the things a lot of things are going to especially the things that are um more common and and generally resolve on their own are for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, somewhat random, there's probably a genetic factor to that we don't entirely understand yet. But some risk factors are family history of congenital heart disease, so family history of being born with holes in the heart, problem with the valves, things that, especially things that have needed surgery, um, especially things that need multiple surgeries early on in life. Those tend to those tend to run in families a little bit, so we generally advise you know uh, more more full workup, even if everything is looking good in in, in the child, just to kind of make sure everything is is as it's supposed to be. Some maternal factors, so some medications that that moms can be on during pregnancy um, are uh, do increase the risk of certain types of uh, heart disease at birth. We've as a medical field kind of come to understand that and options that you know that risk has been reduced for a variety of things um but there are still you know, some medications that uh can impact that so any you know anybody any pregnant moms you know kind of look at different things, you know ask talk with your your ob about you know different medications that you need um and see if any of those things are, are risks and another thing that we run into maternal uh maternal diabetes gestational diabetes can be a, a setup for for some certain types of congenital heart disease so that's another thing our our fetal team works with is is mostly with the OB team and um, for for moms who do have diabetes, uh, you know, generally they will they'll undergo a a more extensive workup, making sure everything is looking good, and and again, just knowing if there's anything you know, to be at risk of or to watch for down the line as as maybe you know gets close to birth and, and after. Wow. So when we talk about acquired um effects of the heart like are we talking about 
something that happens, you know, early on, or is it something that can even happen as like, you know, a tween? Yeah, it's it's all across the board. So generally, the acquired there's there's some that are earlier on, and some that are kind of across across all states of life. Ones that are a little bit earlier on are the most common thing that we we deal with from time to time is something called Kawasaki disease, which um, is a a type of inflammatory, meaning uh, like you know immune system response that. Um, that aggravates the heart and especially the, the arteries that the, the blood vessels that take blood to the heart called the coronary arteries um that's relatively rare but something that that we see in in children uh, from time to time especially at you know large centers and um you know generally the the signs of that are are prolonged fevers fevers that last more than than five to seven days without real good sort of causes your pediatrician can can always you know go through some of the signs and symptoms and that's something that all pediatricians are, are trained to kind of watch for and, and and be on the lookout for um and then the other the other thing that's that's a little bit more in you know the younger child so the you know the toddler to kind of school age child a little bit more rare in um in infants but can happen and then the other thing that we um that we follow is certain types of infections, particularly certain types of viral infec- infections, can as a as a part of of the the disease process involve um, some aggravation of the heart, where it may not be strong for a period of time after having that infection. And so, you know, that's relatively rare, also, but um, but that's something that we follow with with certain types of of particularly viral diseases. Um, also, especially if, if there's, you know, people that have um, IV or intravenous lines that they have to have for a long time, there can be bacterial infections that, that sit on the heart. And those are those are also things that um, generally the risk factors for that are um, having certain types of heart conditions that you know about already that predispose or set you up for that. Um, but also having, um, you know, if, if you need an intravenous line uh, for medications or a port for medications, it raises that risk a little bit because it has an area for the bacteria to sit on in, in general. So those, those are the things that we watch for. In kids, it's overall uh, uh, more rare. You know, by and large, what we do day to day is is much more the congenital side of things, but we are always in tune to make sure that we're, we're not missing any, you know, acquired disease. We're always working with our, our team here, our pediatricians in the hospitals and clinics to educate on any, you know, any changes, anything like that, that would, would set up any for, for these, these, these types of acquired diseases. And I'm just, excuse me, I just have to say this real quick. Um, so, you're not going to find anything if you don't go to the pediatrician. Okay. So I want to make this really clear because as I'm listening to Dr. David, this sounds manageable for like, for me as a parent, like, you know, because we do go to our well bit visits, um, every single, you know, year. Um, and whenever there's something that I don't know what's going on, I, I take them into the pediatrician and I'm so, I, I sit here surprised because um, you would be surprised too if you if you knew that there are a lot of parents that don't follow this you know this general uh, health precaution like if we're talking about the heart and as I'm hearing him talk like it's like this big pump 
okay, with like all of these valves and everything in it. And it's, it's so important to keep, you know, that's what my brain, my lungs, my heart, those three things, you know, but so many more, I know. But if you don't take your kid to their wellness visits, then you don't know if anything has been acquired or you, you might not even know if anything is there being born. I mean, it, it to me, that's alarming. And I just needed to yeah. to get on my soapbox real quick. Okay, I'm stepping off. Um. <laughs> no, I, no, I love it. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think it's important for everybody to understand that you know, finding a good relationship with a, a primary you know physician a primary provider somebody that you, you trust to to follow your goals for you know everybody has different you know uh you know different takes on on how how to sort of have the you know the interaction with parents interaction with children so finding finding somebody you really trust and 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 trust to work with as a pediatrician is very important but yes yeah, so at least you know we you know the vast majority if not all of the patients that we see are generally referred you know by their pediatricians by their, their primary providers because there's some question they have and and sometimes those things are they check out well and there's not anything we need to, to do beyond a, a checkup but sometimes that's that's the start of okay here's here's a problem we're going to have to address to keep your child healthy and, and safe over time and so yeah having a, a good relationship and alive with your pediatrician is good and alive I mean, and, and alive. alive like you know it's so important Absolutely. and i'm just i'm ugh, gotta go to the well visits y'all got to and if you have tips for you know parents if they do have a concern about possible signs or symptoms um right. it, to me i'm not gonna read because i want to know um <laughs> to me like, is it the way they breathe? Yeah, it depends. So, so it changes a little bit over time. The first, you know, in the early phase of of infancy, um, you know, one of the, one of the things, the most common issue that can happen from a general heart problem in infancy is, um, you know, certain types of holes in the heart and certain types of problems with the valves or the arteries where they're too tight and they they don't allow as much blood. And so, so in babies, some of the, there's a lot of, you know, the, the challenge is that, you know, babies don't talk to you, they don't tell you very much. And so there's not a whole lot of signs like, oh, I'm chest pain or I'm having this, you know, they're not going to tell you. So it's, it's a lot of sort of what we call constitutional, meaning how they look, how they act, you know, that kind of thing. So the things I always ask for in, in about asking clinic is how, is, how are they feeding? How are they growing? Generally, if the baby's heart is not working as well as it needs to, feeding and growing are going to be a bit difficult because it's hard for the body to do what the heart needs it to and vice versa. So, you know, if they don't feed well in terms of, of how much they can they can eat, um, spitting up is a part of is part of parenthood. And as long as they're gaining weight, that's okay. But if they're eating and spitting everything up or not eating enough and they're not gaining weight, that's that's something to be worried about from, you know, oh, sort of overall. There's a few, there are a number of different reasons that can be you know a problem but uh for sure when when a baby is having a lot of hard times gaining weight the you know the, the cardiologist is going to be the cardiologist is going to be um uh, re- referred to to make sure that's not one of the one of the issues um turning blue particularly of the face and of the 
test um, is uh, certainly a concerning sign. Any turning blue we'll always, you know, see people for, but sometimes, especially on, on figure skin children, different times of the, the, the hands and feet are a bit purplish. And so, you know, we kind of work through that and get a good history. But, but if, if face is turning blue, chest is turning blue, that's, that's not something that really should be happening. So if you see anything like that, certainly bring that to your, your pediatrician. Difficulty breathing and then just overall not being as energetic now it's again kind of a, a weird thing to say about like a, a three three-year-old because they're not again not doing a ton but there's you know certainly a you know a, a different way that you know there should still be good activity there should be still strong cry and those things if those aren't present then that's certainly a concern either to the pediatrician or if that's something new with worsening call 911 go, go to the emergency department for for evaluation it may be something that needs more more rapid intervention than um than may have a sort of a clinic setting Oh, that, that yeah. makes me sad. I just picture the kids, oh, um, and like even the ones that like try to cry real loud and they can't cry real loud because whatever's going on prevents them from having that loud cry. Or I don't know. I'm just uh, kids. Yeah. I'm real sensitive um, when it comes when it comes to them, and you know whatever I can learn to yeah. equip and put it in my little exactly. quip my little quiver you know exactly and later later on in life the things that we you know so later on you know but later on being like i mean as you get into elementary school years and like like that um you know one thing i didn't mention the first time around is murmurs uh, which is a abnormal sound that can be heard uh when you listen to the heart murmurs are very common in in children just because we children are thinner than we are as we get to be adults we add on more fat muscle things get away the stethoscope so it's, it's hard to hear you know very soft sounds of blood moving through the heart when you get to be older but in babies it's very easy to hear that now a lot so a lot of times there are some different sounds and about 50 percent of children at some point in their life will have had a murmur heard on them at their exam that's far more than the one 110 that happens in heart disease However, certain murmurs can go along with ab abnormalities of the heart. So if there's ever any question about any kind of sound or anything like that, we're always happy to, to, to see them and work. And, work. and that's something that can be at, at, at after birth or early in childhood or later on. Later on, what we start to look for is signs of, first off, heart rhythm problems. So if the electrical input to the heart, you know system that drives how fast or how slow the heart goes is is abnormal some different signs that will tell us that that's going on or um any signs that tell us that something is wrong with the heart muscle itself something called cardiomyopathy where the heart muscle is weaker than it should be and there's a there's some genetic reasons for that there's some acquired reasons for that like we talked about before those are kind of things that we, we start to look for in the you know um, in the school age child and on up. And the big, probably the most important thing to be aware of is passing out or syncope as the term, term for it is. There are a few normal reasons for it to happen, but um, syncope is one of the most concerning things that we went into because it is you one of the signs You say syncope? Syncope was passing syncope. out or fainting. fainting. Okay, so, that's a fancy word. Um, so fainting, it is. It is. There's a term you'll see, sorry, it's a term you'll, you'll hear us use for and, and, and you'll come across and in, in the Google searches, but, but fainting. And, and again, fainting is, is, you know, it is a natural part of what the body does sometimes, um, but sometimes it is also a sign of problems with the heart and the heart rhythm. 
And so if I've always told, you know, pediatricians and pediatric residents that we work with, if you can't sort out what is going on with a fainting episode, you should refer to a cardiologist to make sure that's not, that's not the problem. And it isn't always, but that's certainly, certainly one of the things we look for. Other things that can be called more nonspecific, meaning they can happen for a variety of reasons, the heart being one of them, um, is if you feel the heart rate going too fast or too slow, um, chest pain, generally, chest pain is one of the things we think about as a problem that adults have with heart problems a little bit less with children um but it is one of the things that there's a concern for that we'll certainly sort sort that out so those are those are the things we look for as as the child gets gets a bit older and uh and those are the signs and symptoms that we we typically work up for that at that age and you know what i think is i just this just hit me a, a overly paranoid per person like a parent that like oh what's that noise breathe again what's that huh? and you know and like you're you're like really uh nervous so you like bring them into the pediatrician and uh they are able to calm you down and tell you to chill out because it's all good and that again only happens when you go to the doctor um whether you you know something's wrong or if you think something's wrong so we're going to wrap um with i think um i think the most uh important um pieces of you can't say the most because this is all so important so it's like oh my god every single every topic um but this right here and how we can keep our children's heart health on track um I think that um, because as they grow and um, what are some of the things that we can do? Yeah. So the most, one of the most important things is, you know, starting, starting the process to, you know, good lifestyle habits. So exercise, diet and exercise, especially exercise in the, you know, the school age child and, and as they get older, because um, those habits that form early on are, are very important and, and will last, will help lifelong. Um, you know, so good, you know, maintaining a, a good diet, uh, variety of foods, um, and maintaining activity. It doesn't necessarily have to be a specific sport or anything like that. 30 to 30 minutes, 30, 60 minutes of, you know, play, you know, each day doing, staying active, staying healthy is, is a really good way to start them on the right track. Another important thing for a lot of the things that we've talked about already, um, good relationship with your pediatrician, you know, going to well child checks. If you're doing sports, you participate in the participate in the pre-participation screen and and do it, you know, do it honestly. The, the point of the pre-participation screen is not to keep people from being able to play or keep kids out of sports. It's to identify you know, problems and potentially life-threatening issues that can come up during you know during activity. So go through that each year. Make sure that there's no ab you know no abnormalities. With, you know. Every, every summer when it comes around, our office works as quickly as possible to get any referrals in, you know, to kind of, you know, make sure everything's good and checked off before before sports start so we don't, you know, miss games and things like that because it is important for children, but it's also it's also important to make sure it is safe and healthy. Those and being be the, honest. The biggest, and being honest. You have to be, you have to answer it honestly. You have to get a child to answer it honestly. And and that's a big part of big part of childhood is, is taking, you know, taking ownership and taking agency of your, of your health and and making good choices but um but you know it, it all it all does come back to you know good lifestyle choices good activity you know setting yourself up for for success lifelong and and establishing the it to be normal to go to the doctor 
talk to the doctor and, and go through things and yearly checkups and make sure things are going well. I love it. I love it. I mean, and, you know, a, a good thing for us parents is the bedtime, like, because they have to have a long, good night's sleep, right? So getting them put down early to get a good a good night's sleep. You guys, we've been talking to Dr. David Weiland. He is a cardiologist and uh, a pediatric cardiologist uh, over at Oshner Children's Hospital. And we, we've been talking to him because it is heart month, you guys. You know, Valentine's Day, you think of the heart, right? Um, so one really cool piece of information that I'm reading here, Doc, um, is any parent out there that wants to um, kind of brush up on more knowledge of what we can learn, Oshner Children's Hospital has a weekly parenting newsletter full of parenting and kids' health must-knows, plus fun activities to keep your kids happy and healthy. And all you got to do is subscribe at blog.oshner.org forward slash newsletters. And I'm going to have that link on our, uh, you know, the main page when this airs. Um, I think that that is an, a really cool piece of uh, of help. And for sure, it's a great resource. It's a great thing that, that you know they're doing to for over over you know any any and all aspects of pediatrics going through you know different things that'll come up. You know, some going through the, the you know the heart workup like we've talked about going through you know all all sort you know forms of you know allergies and colds and and you know preventive me measures it's really a good good uh, resource for everybody out there it, dr david wyland you are so well spoken and full of of useful like literally i have pockets full of information now that can calm my nerves you know um and well, and you you're for <laughs> that's right that's right you're at the river are you at the uh at the uh main campus at Oshner? i am uh most most of my work's at maine um i do so we we all do some uh outreach clinics i personally go uh, every Tuesday I go somewhere. So two Tuesdays of the month, I will uh, travel over to the Grove Complex outside of Rouge, uh, which is a fantastic facility and, and great for the folks there. Uh, one Tuesday a month, I go to our clinic in uh, on the North Shore in Covington, um, right by the Target. And, uh, and then one Tuesday I go down to Homa. We have a, a clinic set up in uh, collaboration with the uh, the folks at Terrebonne Channel down there. And so um, just helping yeah exactly getting, you know getting out because that that way we we make it easier for families it's it's hard to drive you know that far you gotta take the kids out of school you got yourself out of work so you know we we do and then we that's just me personally and my my colleagues we we have clinics in you know north shore slidell hammond uh gulfport i'm certainly gonna miss a few but but we go a number of different places to try to help families out and make it easier to um uh Lafayette, Monroe, as well. So uh, make it easier for for folks to to, to come see us and to get and, to uh, you, right? Exactly. That's incredible because I mean, transportation a lot of times is the biggest preventer. That's right. I mean, you know, that's amazing. Thank you for all you do, for all y'all do. I know it takes a village, and uh, we are so so appreciative 
of 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 Oshner and and our time being able to talk to you. This is our first episode of the new season, so I'm really glad to welcome you back. And uh, I'm honored uh, to be back for the for the start. That's right for the season season premiere. All right. Well, until um my brain um gets on a worry track again, um we'll we'll meet up and you'll be able to calm calm it down. <laughs> be here be here for you when that when that time comes for sure incredible doc thank you so much and uh from our family to y'all's nola love thank you <laughs> oh hey how y'all doing are you in the market to buy or sell your home or perhaps you're a landlord looking for a top-notch property management service well if that's the case steph has got you covered baby she is a top-notch performing agent with over 12 years of experience and dedication to providing the best possible service to her clients. She has a niche for understanding her clients' unique needs and finding their perfect place to call home. For sellers, she creates a custom marketing plan that highlights the unique features of the home to get it sold quickly and efficiently. Efficiently. For landlords, she offers top-notch property management services, maximizing investment potential. With Stephanie's knowledge of the market, passion for real estate, feisty for life, and commitment to exceptional service, you can trust that you're in good hands and trust it, Papa says it. For all your real estate needs, call Steph. So just find her at realestatewithsteph.com. Realestatewithsteph.com. At Auctioner Hospital for Children, we understand that accidents and illnesses happen. Our 24-7 pediatric ER has you covered no matter what unexpected moments life throws your way. Visit auctioner.org slash for children to learn more. Well, hello, Nola Papa listeners. Um, I'm Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of Comfort Cases. As many as you may know, foster care can be a very difficult time. It can be uncertain journeys for every child who enters. And we all must understand that children enter foster care because of choices other people made. I would really love for each and every one of you to visit comfortcases.org to find out how you can truly get involved, whether it's going through volunteering at one of our national centers, or whether maybe you might do a drive or a packing party. There's a way for each and every one of us to make a difference in every single child who enters foster care. You know, together we can give these kids hope, dignity, and we can give them a search that we can... Together, we can give these kids hope, dignity, and love. Because isn't that what each and every one of us want? So please, listen to Nolo Papas. And I know you're all good humans. And I know that you're going to visit comfortcases.org. Take care. Well, hey, Nola Papa listeners, it's Rob Shear again, the founder of Comfort Cases. You know, I know that each and every one of you are good humans. And for the last 10 years, we have packed over 200,000 Comfort Cases and have delivered them to all 50 states, D.C. and Puerto Rico, and have even opened up a center in the United Kingdom. You know, none of this would have hap not happened without you 
our community. See, each and every one of us must understand something. Your community is not your zip code, my friends. Our community is our human race, and it is up to us to make sure that the 438,000 plus children who are actually sitting in foster care know one thing, and that is they are loved. So continue to visit comfortcases.org and have an amazing day. Hey everyone, Brian Rosenberg here, founder of Days with Kids. I have exciting news for those hoping to become dads. Until now, determining your best path to fatherhood and then trying to wrap your head around all the moving parts could best be described as overwhelming, complicated, and sometimes downright baffling. But not anymore. In early February, we're launching GWK Academy, a specialized program created specifically for queer men looking to become dads. GWK Academy should be the very first stop on your journey to fatherhood. First, we'll help you determine your best path to fatherhood. Then, whether you choose surrogacy, adoption, or foster care, we'll give you the information, the resources, and the connections you need so you can launch your own journey feeling prepared, knowledgeable, and confident. So be on the lookout for our official launch announcement at gazewithkids.com and make sure you're following us on social media at gazewithkids. You got itchy, dry, rashy skin? Need an ointment that'll give you relief? Pink Salve, P-I-N-X-A-V. Pink Salve soothes, heals, and protects your whole family's skin from eczema, chafing, and diaper rash too. And not to mention the acne. Support this LGBTQ plus women-owned family business. And it'll be the best rash decision you'll ever make. And if you go to PinkSav.com, P-I-N-X-A-V.com, you can get 10% off your next order if you use Nola Papa. Get that keyword, Nola Papa. PinkSav, y'all. Isn't the vibrance of all the different people amazing? You know... We are, as uh, Americans and as humans gathering in one country, uh, we're like a big pot of gumbo, you know? And gosh, I miss gumbo. Oh, it's so good. Well, anyway, let me not stop. Let me not get there. But anyway, we're all, as, as the human race, we're like a big old pot of gumbo. And it is uh, really fascinating because, you know, there's some spicy people like gumbo, some spicy. Um, I like a good filet in my gumbo. Uh, I like a good dark roux, good dark roux. And uh, spice is okay. I like my spices coming in like from the andouille, like from the meat. But anyway, alas, people have their own beautifully unique attributes that they are able to uh, shine um, in our in our society. And I've always said uh, I started writing because I felt like that um, 
my my experience and uh and being a marginalized american um it was pertinent to today's discussion of of life and what what have you whether it's family you know it's life and i thought that if i wrote about it um struggles highlights what whatever whatever if i wrote about it then I, I might could connect with you know someone out there that might be going through the same thing and and lo and behold i started getting um letters from across the, the pond okay that's it's europe um and like all around and it really my, my fire was already sparked but this um was a reminder every time i got a message it was a reminder that what i'm doing is reaching someone out there that felt the time felt it important enough to find the time to to write me and tell me thank you and that it 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 motivated me to to keep going with with Nola Papa and everything and if you look at different people different ingredients in our gumbo okay i you know me and douglas uh being a two dad household of a multi fam multiracial family you know that's our own unique uh blend uh to the recipe but then if you look and you peel back layers and you look at others uh whether it's racial relations or um or or health like premature um mothers that have had to uh endure premature babies the stories that they're left with and the strength that it has made them like like it pulled they they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps it's amazing i i met my cousins when we went back for thanksgiving about a, maybe about a decade ago maybe a year longer or so i went back to jackson mississippi and that's where uh half of douglas's family's from and we went there and i uh, and uh john is douglas's uh first cousin and uh, i am just you know the the boyfriend on the street and i come in i meet john and like just a fascinating conversation that that i had with him and it was really festive because it was like thanksgiving or christmas something like that and uh i believe that he either i met him then and he came back and he was engaged to carry but they are the sweetest couple that uh is raising their most beautiful little family and the more and more i talk to them the more and more in some empathetic place in me 
I related. However, their story is so much more different than ours. And that's just what's beautiful about when you have really good ingredients for your gumbo. It is each story is so completely different and compelling and it allows us to see and to hear some of the stories that really root us and others to be who they are and i y'all we have we have john and carrie turner they are writers for our magazine but also disability advocates and they're my they're my cousin joe john and carrie welcome to the show again welcome back good to be here thank you (laughs) i'm so excited to see y'all and to talk i am so appreciative of the time and the the thought process that it must take to create an article um you know every other month or however so often um and and design it strategically enough to where you're able to capture the attention of busy people on the go on the go on the go busy people on the go and y'all's story translates into like an american dream it really does and i would love for for you john to to tell uh tell us tell me my uh, the audience um in this big pot of gumbo (laughs) what 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 do you like what do you like in your gumbo what would you be i like i like a lot of spice yes like love humor Ah, I like things that are out of the ordinary. You know, that's one of the reasons I love Carrie so much because she is anything but ordinary, and I mean that in the best sense of way I can say it. Absolutely. Um, we, you know, when we first met. You know, we met first in a professional capacity back in 2007. 2007. Yeah. We were working. I had a, a story published on a, a online website that she was editing, and she edited the story. So we met back then, um, professionally, and then in 2012, I took it uh, to a little more personal level, and we um, we kind of started connecting personally on Facebook and they kind of go into romance and then it was into a marriage and parenthood and all that. So that's gonna have a I love I love y'all's uh the way you captured her. You know, you're you uh I d I'm not sure if he, he swooned you, Carrie, but um like to to see the beginning of a, a relationship and then have it blossom and because i was more like you carrie like with douglas like i was you know the more the girly one <laughs> and and douglas kind of like came in and swept me off my feet 
Um, so John, when uh, you say you were a writer, uh, you and but but in the beginning you were an actor, right? Right. Um, I went to college at Southern Miss and studied acting and music. Then shortly after college, I moved to upstate New York in the Syracuse area, near where you are now, actually, <laughs> to work for a children's theater. But in 2002, I was mugged and assaulted, and I got beat up really bad, and I got a brain injury from that attack. So I became disabled, could no longer perform, so I became a writer. At the same time, I was a very active, very bad alcoholic, and um, ended up getting sober in 2012. Not long before I met Carrie, and uh, yeah, so I became a writer. I had wrote several stories prior to getting sober, and then Carrie was. I did get sober. Part of our courtship was. Her helping me put all these stories together into a book. Mm. That was part of the whole courtship process. It was great. <laughs> and that is the Diary of a Gimp? Confessions. 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 How, how do you say it? What's the name of it? Confessions of a Gimp. Yes. Yes. Available on Amazon and wherever you buy your books. <laughs> <laughs> so when you that's a sharp right turn for anyone that's going in a direction you know um how old were you when the attack happened you yeah mean? yes 32. how old 32. okay gotcha what a drastic change of events how how long did it take you from going from uh, an actor on stage to being comfortable in writing because those are two I mean I guess they're very personal um, but then writing like getting it out of your head onto you know paper how long did it take you to to do that well um, I was in the hospital for six first hospital then a rehab facility all together for about six or seven months and i came home from the hospital i was severely depressed because i wasn't sure what i was going to do with my life you know my career was over as an actor and performer so i wasn't really sure what i was going to do so for, for about a year i didn't absolutely nothing but cry <laughs> and then my mom bought me a computer and uh, I was in a huge funk and what I decided to do was write a short story about my attack in the aftermath on my brand new computer so I did that and that story was called Confessions of a Game it was the, the beginning of everything I got really good response to it. And, you know, writing and acting, it's, it's all kind of storytelling. Mm. You know? And being from the South, I, you know, I grew up, my mother's a fantastic writer, too. So 
I grew up sort of in that vein, you know. So, you know, my, my, sort of my philosophy now is if you can't do it, write about it, you know, I, so I, that's kind of how that happened. I wrote about the attack and everything and got some really good reception to that story. So over the next few years, I wrote, uh, I think it was uh, 20 stories overall. Something like that, yeah. About 20 short stories about things that happened in my life overall. So that's kind of how that happened. Amazing. It, uh, okay, so you were able to shift gears and you know could be one of the darkest times in 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 your life possibly and you not only pushed out one one short story that the the first one but it was like each time you got inspired you write another one and then you put them all into a collection right right that's right but writing that first story, I was going to say, writing that first story really expelled a lot of those demons for me that had happened because of my attack and everything and kind of gave me a new lease of life, really. You know, it gave me a new direction to take, you know. So that's what I did. And yeah, every, every so often a certain memory would come up about something that had happened. Like I was almost born in a cab. <laughs> My wow. The hospital she was having me and they're sad and you know, um I fell down some stairs when I was eighteen, you know, that all sorts of different things. Funny things that happened during my life. I write about them and it was I had a blast doing it. A lot of fun to I love how you spin humor into it. You know, it's like a web of different. Um, I, I want to say, along came a spider. Isn't it called a, along came a spider from from Aunt Jane? Um, what she had a well, she had a a short story about a spider. Um, children's book called. Have you ever apologized? That's it. Have you ever apologized to a spider? We're talking about uh, John's mom. And she, uh, we have it on our bookshelf now. Uh, I I love how it starts at home. I sound like a stuck record, don't I, y'all? It starts at home. And you could bet your bottom dollar that Aunt Jane inspired John to be the writer he is today and what is even more fascinating is if you keep peeling layers back to these ingredients okay because this is a mighty fine pot of gumbo then in 2012 john did you say you you met carrie or was that when you kicked it up to another level that's when I kicked it out to the personal. Okay, level. so when you originally met Carrie, that was back in when? 2007. Carrie, I'll let yeah. you take 2007. It. That was the professional connection where I was working on a magazine. John had submitted the story. One of the I stories ended. that I'd yeah. written about my life, about yeah. being presented, <laughs> about 
pretending to be blind on a plane so I'd get good, good attention from the flight crew. But it was oh, wow. True story? True story. Just yeah. into it. Wow. When I, was, when I was getting on the plane, they, they thought I was blind because I had sunglasses on and I had a cane and they assumed I was blind, so I just went with it. Being an actor, I pretended I was blind the entire flight. And they opened my snacks for me, helped me to the bathroom. <laughs> and then when the flight landed, everybody got off the plane. I took my sunglasses off and I made sure I made eye contact with them. And every member of the flight crew as I was leaving, boy, were they pissed. <laughs> <laughs> You looked at them, how what fun. But you were still handicapped, though, right? Or is this before? Yeah, yeah. I, was, that, that, I think that's part of the, the, the whole mistaken identity is that they thought I was blind because I was walking with a cane and had sunglasses on. And, yeah. So. But it's also a good example of how how ignorant people can be about disability. I'm going to just jump in there. I know, love the pivot, Carrie. I love the pivot. Like, I, you know, John may have been wearing sunglasses, but his, his cane is, I mean, a white cane that a blind person uses is also a mobility device, but it's of a different nature. It's not a cane for walking. It's to assist with, like, orientation and mobility, they call it, that I understand. So, obviously, it was not a white cane. Right. <laughs> but they just assumed that this disabled guy that had sunglasses on must be blind, right not very not very helpful assumption right so right. like i remember reading the story i did not know john at the time of course i thought it was a hilarious story bringing my own disability spice to it all if you want to continue uh -huh. but <laughs> you know it's there are so many i find a lot of opportunities um as a disabled person in my daily life to kind of like you call it shining a light but in this context it's also sort of like jokes on you non-disabled people right about <laughs> how do we <laughs> you know because people you know people have a tendency to look at disabled people and be like how do you do that when we're just doing what's normal for us wow okay so to get to peel it back even more um, back in 2007, y'all met professionally. Where did y'all meet, Carrie? It was it was online. Is this online magazine that I was working for at the time? It still exists. It's called um, Breath and Shadow Journal of Disability Arts and Culture, and it's it's published by an organization actually in Maine. Okay. They the I think they're in, it's a nonprofit called Ability Maine, and they have a partnership with another organization called Resources for Organizing and Social Change, ROSC, and they published this um, Breath and Shadow online journal of disability arts and culture. And I had just, that was a writing opportunity that I pursued. Like I applied to be on the editorial board and stuff like that. I was a young, young writer at the time. Like I said, did not know John, but as a result of working on that just via email, <laughs> You know, we had a pleasant time, you know, professional, pleasant banter, whatever, but did not know each other, had never seen each other, but then linked up on Facebook after that. 
And I think that's where things started to kind of develop for right. John, where he well, became- what's, what's beautifully unique about this is, um, Carrie, so you, you uh, are an advocate um, for disability. It sounds like that it's been there for a long time, you writing for publications and such. Tell oh. us a little bit about your personal story. Okay, so <laughs> apart apart from my involvement with John or just going back a little bit further, it's I think it's important to note one of the most important things is that um, unlike John, I did not become disabled. I have cerebral palsy, I've had it all my life. Um, and so, you know, growing up from a baby, a child as a disabled person, is a much different experience, if you'll, you know, allow me to say so, John, sure. from growing up as, you know, class clown, quarterback of the football team, very, you know, accomplished actor, <laughs> you know, and then having this terrible um, tragedy happen in your life. And it's, you know, you can look at that as, you know, a tragedy, a difficulty, as it was, that nobody should have to suffer such an attack. But I think the thing where, and this is where John and I find some common ground, is that the, the disability, whether it's a lifelong thing or a resultant thing, does not have to be tragic, mm. you know? Like, <laughs> yes, it's unfortunate that, you know, those things happen. There's suffering involved in, in, you know, any type of physical injury, this kind of thing. So in that sense, our experiences are very different. I, uh, unlike John, I don't know what it's like to lose a physical capacity. Mm. I'm sure as I age and these kinds of things, <laughs> you know, we all go through this kind of stuff, but it's, you know, it's a much different experience. Um, how it's similar though, is that, you know, growing up as a disabled person, I was automatically seen as less, capable of less, um, worth less. You know, I don't, you know, there's a, and so I, there's like a, a lifelong struggle with, with self-worth, with self-confidence, with a sense of self that John did not have. But as a result of the disability experience that we have come to share, we kind of meet in the middle where I have learned things that can benefit him. He has has learned things and has elements in his personality like innate self-confidence, <laughs> you know, uh, that, I, <laughs> that I was lacking. And so like, especially this comes out, I feel in a positive way in our parenting where we can kind of model for our daughters, you know, when, you, you know, how to uh, approach another person with some, with some vulnerability, also with empathy, mm. um, because it takes a lot of empathy to understand another person's disability experience as well. I don't remember if we But also about having the boundaries at yes. where, you know, it, it, to me, it seems like a lot of observation and then uh, you very 
carefully uh, decide if you cross that boundary to help or do you stay and you keep watching until there's like, you know, they're, they're fine. Cause a lot of people just rush in to be like this cavalier, uh, knight on a white horse. And that's not, that's not really where we, <laughs> it's sometimes doing more harm than good. What do you think about that? Oh, I, it's, it's definitely harmful. And I know that we talked about this last time that really when you offer to help someone, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very ingrained in most people in, you know, polite interactions in day-to-day life. Can I help you? Do you need help? This kind of thing. But, you know, when you are asking that, you know, it's really asking consent to help the other person. Yes. And I think that I've said this last time, I'll say it again because it's really important. And it's not something that I learned a long time ago. It's a relatively recent insight and it came with parenting that, you know, even when I ask my daughters, you know, can I help you off the potty or something like that? You know, kids are very uh, forthright in saying, no, I want to do it myself, you know, and that's it's really important. And so I probably default to letting them do a little too much for themselves, but it's also like, they're not disabled. I kind of know, I kind of know they can. And a lot of things that I do help them with, like putting on their clothes and stuff like that, depend on them being able to do things that I am not, or have never been able to do. Like, oh, you want help with your leggings? Okay, pick up your leg. You know, they can stand on one foot. I can't, you know? So I, (laughs) that's- And that too, Carrie, that is also another facet of this fascinating story with you, with y'all having two beautiful daughters um, that are perfectly healthy, that like they're, there's, you know, they are so full of life and these sweetest little things, but they're growing- in a way that, um, and I'm sure as they get older, it might be easier, serious, like for you, you know, because I'm, I can't imagine how difficult at times, you know, just trying to get some things accomplished. Um, but to have, uh, like you say, leggings, uh, leggings are tricky as hell. I mean, and you got to like snug it in and then pull, 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 snug it in and then pull, 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 pull. Like, I can't imagine what y'all would go through to just put on leggings, you know? And like for them to get old enough to know that they can help mommy and daddy by doing it themselves. Have they gotten to that place? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, um... With with Hannah, definitely Hannah's four and going to be five in April, so in not not that long from now. And then you know Veronica is two, going on three, but she you know of course wants to do everything that her big sister is doing and has a certain she's not nearly as easygoing as Hannah is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I you know I am content. I think. I think it's important 
and this is something it, we have all these terms for all these different styles of parenting you know helicopter parents zamboni parents snowplow parents you know people who uh, like different um parenting philosophies where people want to like smooth the obstacles make things easy for their kids and mm. uh, on one hand it's like yes we brought them into the world we owe them a good life i talked about that in my last um art the last article that we turned in mm -hmm. um but <laughs> part of having a good life and part of doing you know uh feeling feeling good about oneself having things to offer in life is doing for oneself and so yes i owe my kids a good life but part of that is giving them the tools to meet the challenges that life will bring them they will not be the same ones that their disabled parents face. But I'm hopeful that we can model for them how to do things on their own. And I'm not afraid to let them struggle a little bit. Yeah. I reached a point as a young adult where I wished that my family had let me struggle a little bit more. You know, because this is the thing, people get uncomfortable I've, I've observed this. I, people get uncomfortable with like how difficult something can look when a disabled person is doing it because it doesn't look like how it looks when a non-disabled person does it. So people want to swoop in and they're like, do you need help? Do you need? And the fact is we are doing what works for us and it's okay. Right. And it's, wow. it may look hard to you, but it's not hard for us because we're doing it the way we know how to do it. Right. So that's, <laughs> are you I, able I, to like, if there's someone swooping in that needs to fly away, <laughs> like, um, do you say, shoot, I don't know, not shoot, but I mean, do you, do you say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. I got this. We kind of have a yeah. term for those people. They're called helpy help. Helpy helpers. Helpy yeah. helpers. <laughs> they come in and they, a lot of people, I was going to say, that a lot of people just decide rather than asking, decide that they're going to help because that's that's how they think. And they think, they think, they believe they are doing the right thing right. when they're not. Right. They just start doing things and they say, no, right. we're okay, you know. And then so when they ask for help and we don't need it, we're just, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's been a learning process for me to say, get the hell away from me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Is it, and sometimes it doesn't stick until you get to get there and you those veins pop out and you're like, <laughs> people, people don't you know why we're angry and then they get angry because we won't accept the help. Like a how help. dare you kind of situation up and touched you in a way that you weren't comfortable with and then said they were trying to help you wow you would hate them their ass i you know? have come to realize so I... that the problem is what it comes down to is that a lot of people don't know how to interact with people with disabilities so they go automatically with what they know which is to fix the situation mm -hmm. a lot of times the situation does not need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. So yeah. I want to ask you this, y'all. Um, as we are 
welcoming a new year and this is a good pivot too uh gary um we're welcoming a brand new year uh it's gonna be filled with you know uncertain times of love and um trying moments i question y'all this having a family of my own too with you know three uh three wild circus animals um do, how can i present to them because everything starts at home i've already said that i already said that once this time um but it starts at home and empathy is not an emotion you're born with it's something that you are taught and how how do you think is the best scenario uh to teach our littles at home because it starts at home uh to be empathetically patient when it comes to watching and observing others uh with disabilities in public and for them to understand it and um and for them not to be pushy over time because pushy helpy helpers um that was taught at home you know and it's today is you know it's 2024 and we are going to be we need to teach others that uh i think a patience like being patient in the moment and not rushing into something what do you think i i want to um address because to me there it's i think it's can be more complex than like two halves of a whole when you look mm. at disability especially from from the outside like looking at or any type of disability experience that you don't share there's the awareness part where yes you need to pay attention you need to learn you need but there's also the acceptance part and i don't think we're there yet in terms of kind of building that bridge like it's it's where you know yeah okay you might have like a disability sensitivity training at work or an assembly at school or your child may have one of your kids or all your kids or whoever may have a disabled friend in their class or or whatever and you know some of that it's just you know part of the population but uh, it's it can be it can become very easy to to tokenize that person or that experience to say oh yeah i know all about people in wheelchairs because my friend xyz is in a wheelchair in my class you know and that is it's seen as like enough to promote that awareness but that person <laughs> you know each per like you know i'm not a wheelchair user i don't even use a mobility device at this point but i know enough about like I think I know <laughs> from my disability advocacy work overall to understand that like each person's experience of their disability no matter what the manifestation is is unique mm -hmm. so the way each person talks about their disability the way each person feels about their disability the way each person um you know I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but just living daily life. Mm. You know, you can, I cannot look at a wheelchair using person and say, okay, I know this person lives this way because they use a wheelchair. Mm. 
right. I would have to actually talk to that person and and not just not just ask them a bunch of questions to check a bunch of boxes you know and that's where compassion comes from like because there's empathy um but then compassion i i think it's like like you want to talk to the person for them to give you their direct uh their direct response that applies to their life and when you neglect from allowing that to happen then the whole compassion point is just null right one people i mean i think people want to be comfortable with different people so i think sometimes they kind of go for the jugular like i've had people ask me point blank no intro nothing they're like what's the name of your condition I'm like, could you please ask my name first before mm -hmm. we get started? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think because people are there, we are like wired to look for differences. And I, I've read things about this, the way the brain works and the way the brain discerns a threat, credible or not. If it's something different, you're going to notice. And at some level, you can't, you can't help that, mm -hmm. you know? I've stared at people who walk different, look different, whatever. It's just like a... It's Isn't a that something? I'm sorry for interrupting. This sounds primeval. This sounds like it's something that is um, instinct into our... Like before we were human... Like when someone walks in and there's a threat. Like, and it's not like you're trying to like, you can go beat them up, but... It, or anything like that. I think it's like a human mechanism. Could it be that it's like you are observing every, you know, living body in here and what could be a threat, what could not be a threat. And it's almost like wolves. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it goes back. I think I, I touched on it in, in, we, in the first article in, in the, the NOLA Pablo magazine that we did. And when I say threat, it's not some, not necessarily something dangerous. Just right. you know, we all experience threats to our worldview, threats to our feelings, threats you know where we get kind of shaken awake, or yes. a new idea, or a new experience that can you know even if it's not something hurtful or difficult, it's oh wow, I never thought about that before. That's mm. you know weird, you know. And I think most of those things, especially when it comes to disability, those are, it's a good thing because what I, you know, to, to teach the kids, not just to accept, but also to embrace that difference, to mm. understand that like John and I may have different disability experiences, but we are also interested in each other's experience, you know, want to know more. It's, it's something that for us enriches our lives, you know, makes uh, them interesting. This is and so fascinating. You guys, we are talking to writers and disability advocates, uh, Carrie and John Turner. They, they write uh, uh, an article uh, in our column, uh, Nola Papa Now, but also their, their story of the origins of their family and uh, how they, how he, John, met Carrie, and how she pushed him uh, to become a, a 
better person probably every day i would bet um but also in 2012 uh to kick mm -hmm. addiction and um to have their stories even get uh brighter by each birth of their daughter like it, it it's amazing and it allows me not only as a dad but um as a compassionate and empathetic human on earth um to be patient and observe and understand that we already know everybody's different you know no gumbo is going to taste the same unless it's from a can blue runner does have good gumbo a blue runner does have good gumbo in a can but other than that aside um everything is going to be different and i love that the threatened thing is more like maybe our mind knowing oh i can grow again i can grow more here this is an opportunity to of growth right now that's happening in this moment and it is um inspiring to talk to you both because you have such different perspectives and y'all it is so important, especially going into this new year that, you know, whether it's something that someone has dealt with their whole life or whether it's something that just out of the clear blue sky, something happened. Um, we are all on this journey together. And the more we can understand not only where we're going, but a little bit about where someone else is going, then I think that that really uh, helps with a, a smooth process of a growth and learning experiment. I mean, and I, I wanna say this with y'all in closing, with 2024 upon us, what do you give our audience to put in their pocket and maybe pull out somewhere down the road in this new year, what would you say to them? I would say if I had to put it in a sentence, I would say when you see someone different, take an interest, you know? Mm. Know their take name before you ask their condition. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Example, but you know, just, don't you know look at it as you know it's kind of like how I have a writer friend who said who talked about when she was going through the birth of one of her children her I think doula or whoever was coaching her through her labor said I want you to think of the pain not as pain but as an interesting sensation and that's always kind of stuck with me where like people need to understand that like our life experiences, the life experience of being disabled is not and does not always have to be, is not by definition, a painful and difficult life experience. It has that, <laughs> you know, just like all our lives have that, but it also has beauty and intrigue and romance and art and all these things. And so take an interest. Whatever you think you see, there's always more to it. You know. I love that, John. What about your 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 piece to put in a pocket? Well, um, <laughs> you know, Karen kind of touched on this, and I guess you know, kind of in the same vein of that 
There's something I know I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Part of our recovery program, there's something called the pause. And what the pause is, is like, instead of flying off the handle when something bothers you, pause, mm. think about it. Mm. Before you, you know, do what you're going to do or before you commit to something. When you see somebody that's different as well, pause, think, and then interact with them. Like Carrie was saying, I think that that's going to be really helpful. I know it's it's been a learning learning experience for me personally. Wow, I love that, and you know, um, I was just thinking, you know, there's gumbo. <laughs> that you know sometimes has okra in it i'm i don't like okra in my gumbo you know and there's nothing i can do about that is there except take the take the okra out and enjoy your gumbo you know um i don't like tomatoes in my gumbo you know um some people like it that that it's not for everyone but in in closing we could all enjoy our gumbo a little more if we understood what makes a gumbo as delicious as it is. And it is the ingredients aside from the okra. And then you can enjoy it. I'm just kidding. Some people like okra. I mean, whatever. Um, to each his own. Y'all, this, this is our family. We're talking to uh, John and Carrie Turner. Oh, the sweetest people. I can't wait to see y'all. I can't wait to see y'all and those babies. Christmas time, yeah. So I, I am so thankful um, that y'all uh, took took me up on the offer of of writing this year in our magazine you guys can find it at nolapapa.com and it's called disabled and abled disabled and able and this conversation that we've had it it just carries over you see what it did there oh it carries over Oh, but anyway, it, it carries over from story to story and the amount of pertinent, important stuff that's in it. I can't thank you enough for being a part of it. And I just want to bring y'all both in real good. Big old hug. And from our family to yours during this holiday season, Nola Love. You got itchy, dry, rashy skin? Need an ointment that'll give you relief? Pink Salve, P-I-N-X-A-V, Pink Salve, soothes, heals, and protects your whole family's skin from eczema, chafing, and diaper rash too, and not to mention the acne. Support this LGBTQ plus women-owned family business, and it'll be the best rash decision you'll ever make. And if you go to pinksalve.com, P-I-N-X-A-V dot com. You can get 10% off your next order if you use Nola Papa. 
Get that keyword, Nola Papa. Big set, y'all. Are you ready to embark on a magical journey with your family? Look no further. Welcome to Sandpiper Vacations, where we specialize in crafting unforgettable experiences for LGBTQ families. Whether you are dreaming of a relaxing cruise, an all-inclusive resort, or the tropical islands of Hawaii, we've got you covered. Our gay-owned and operated travel agency is dedicated to creating inclusive and memorable experiences for families just like yours. Picture this, a stress-free vacation where every detail is taken care of. That's what we're here for. At Sandpiper Vacations, we understand the unique needs and desires of LGBTQ families, and we've curated the perfect destinations just for you. Our planning services are completely free and designed to make your vacation planning as hassle-free as possible. So why stress over planning when you can leave it up to the experts? Let Sandpiper Vacations turn your travel dreams into reality. Visit our website at sandpipervacations.com or give us a call or shoot us a text at 614-407-3232. Ooh, y'all. It takes a village to make this show happen. And it definitely couldn't happen without the generous pockets from our family of sponsors like Oshner Hospital for Children, Oshner.org, Rouse's Markets, Pink Sav Diaper Rash Cream at PinkSav.com, Sandpiper Vacations at SandpiperVacations.com, Comfort Cases, find them at ComfortCases.org, New Orleans Ice Cream Company, find them at NewOrleansIceCream.com, Real Estate with Steph, find her over at RealEstateWithSteph.com, Our beloved Audubon Institute, find them at AudubonInstitute.org, Kids Dream Dress Boutique, find them at kidsdreamus.com, and Zach George and his dog training revolution, find him on YouTube. Our partners like gayswithkids.com and all the others that help, but we cannot forget our show's director and editor and knower of all digital things, Adrian over at Ice Media. And of course, we can't forget y'all. Thank you so much for listening. We couldn't have it without you. And if you know anyone that would like to become a partner with nolapapa.com, you can send them to eric at nolapapa.com. Shoot me an email and I'll shoot it right back, baby. Until then, Nola loves.